This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to The Short Coat, a podcast of the University of Iowa, Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. On today's show, what bad advice have you gotten along your journey to medical school? We'll look at those bits of, quote, wisdom, unquote, and turn them into uh, real advice, maybe, that we think you could count on. With me to help, M4, Marissa Evers is back. It's been a it's been a long time, but I'm happy to be back. Excellent. Mahalo, M1, Nicole Hines. Hi. Uh, bienvenuto, M1, Eric Bozart. Hello. And Will Common, M1, Rick Gardner. Hello, fellow Padawans. Today's episode is sponsored by Panacea Financial, a division of Sonabank, member FDIC. Panacea is banking for medical students built by other doctors. I'm so grateful for their support because our sponsors help us keep this show moving. And in return, they want you to consider their services. So I'm going to let you know a little bit more about them later in the podcast. And remember to join us as we live stream our recording sessions on Fridays at noon Central Time in our Facebook group, The Short Coat Student Lounge. Marissa, you got Corona vaccine dose number two yesterday how you feeling do you feel do you feel spiky do you do you have more spikes than you used to uh probably yes good well how's that feel i'm gonna say that well currently right now my temperature is fluctuating i'm going through like a hot flash so nice i'm getting prepared for menopause already so nice you know these vaccines are new they use mrna to cause your body to manufacture proteins that the body recognizes as you know something they need to to do something about what i want to know is can we use such a concoction to make food proteins for our bodies so we don't have to eat anymore hmm but i like the taste of things before you answer this fantastic idea is patented copyrighted trademarked david tietler genius (laughs) aren't those called vitamins dave no (laughs) vitamins are lame i'm talking you know protein carbs you know i know i like i like eating clearly but I just, you know, I just think maybe maybe we could save some time. Uh, here there's this wonderful thing called TPN with lipids. It's all the rage. I don't know what that means. It's like <laughs> this supplemental nutrition for people who, like, can't eat in the hospital. And it looks like a diabolical fluid, but I think you might enjoy it. It's kind of in line. Is it, like, ensure for very sick yeah, people? Yeah, but it goes straight into your belly, basically. Ooh. Oh, okay. Don't even have to try it. Don't even have to taste it. It just... Yeah. Yeah. I've, I have too much pleasure in my life right now. So I think I'm, I'm ready to be done with eating. Our topic today, bad advice. Those of us who work in medical education tell you to seek out advice from mentors and advisors. But what we usually forget to say is remember that sometimes it's worthless, maybe outdated, anecdotal, correlative and not causative, all that stuff. So what advice have you gotten that turned out to be wrong during your meta journey? We'll start with you, Marissa, because you're further along and perhaps you've gotten more bad advice than the others. I would say a big thing, especially like being a female, a lot of people try to discourage me from going into medicine because it meant that I couldn't have a family, that I wouldn't have the time dedicated to a family, which I think 
at least at Iowa, in my experiences, having like AMWA mentors and seeing women who would talk to us about what it meant to have kids or to not have kids, making that personal choice has been really helpful of knowing where it's like, I can be in medicine and can have a family one day, not at that point right now, but definitely. I don't know why this would be a piece of it. I mean, that clearly flies in the face of factual evidence that you look around and see plenty of women who have families. Also, it could also be a concern for men. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, agree. I like I like having a family. I assume that there are other men like me out there who aren't like, I don't know, not to put too fine a point on it, but like, well, okay, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say I was going to I was going to say something vulgar but like basically like strutting their stuff like hey, ladies I'm 45 and I still don't have children. <laughs> 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 Never want to anyway. They get they get in the way of my style, my physician style. All right, so that's yeah, that's that's just dumb. Uh, you guys, uh, you others, received any any bad advice at this point? So I know on the, like, when we were talking about this beforehand, um, someone mentioned, like, mental health and the idea that we shouldn't talk about that in our applications, which I think is, like, one of the most asinine ideas ever. Like, hey, here's, like, one of the most, like, universal, like, human experiences that you can have. But we're just going to, like, completely shave off half of that, all the negative, and just forget that that ever occurred acting like that isn't something that will ever happen to us in the future and i think that is it's it's the dumbest thing i've ever heard of i wonder if this is i want yeah that comes up a lot and i wonder if it's just because it's outdated you know and the people sometimes giving you this advice are you know older people who came up in in a time when it was less acceptable to talk about one's mental health out loud you know and and i guess that and i guess I suppose that one reason why it still might be valid is that, for the most part, people who are making decisions about your future in medicine are also from an era when mental health wasn't something that was talked about frequently. That said, I think it's much more common to talk about now. And I think that stigma is fading, if not completely eliminated. This has been something that I've made a point to bring up in my interviews, asking the program directors and other residents, like the support that they provide within their program, just of like bringing up a certain experience within my own life and how, like, for example, I had someone who was very, very close to me who attempted suicide Hmm. and I found out about it the first day that I started surgery. And that is a very, very tough start to surgery, but I had a really great support system within the faculty. And I like went directly to Dean Craig over in Des Moines and told him what was happening and they gave me time off so that I could go be with this person. And so like, I've brought that story up on my interviews and asked like, is this the type of support that I can expect from your program? And I've had really, really great responses to it and knowing where I'm like, oh, okay. So like you do have a good response, good support within your system already. And that they're prepared for those types of things to occur. So like, I think it is more common to like talk about that. And if you are concerned about it, you should bring it up. I completely support that idea. Wouldn't you want to work for a program that actually took that into account, you know, was willing to work with you on that rather than a program that was like, no, your mental health is a problem for us. It seems more strategic not to conceal something in that situation, because if it becomes a problem, then, and they don't deal with it very well. That would be an issue. Yeah. You said something about how, like, sometimes the people who are making the decisions about, like, whether you're going to go on to a program haven't 
or they're a little older, or they aren't really of the same mindset as we are. And if those are the people making the decisions for the program, and that's how they think that's not where I want to be, because yeah. I do want a place that's going to support my wellness and my colleagues' wellness. And I actually just had an early clinical experience yesterday, and I stayed an hour after just talking with the physician, and she shared her story that was heavily impacted by mental health while she was training, and I shared some of mine. And it was just a really great moment. We were sitting there in the workroom and she was able to openly talk about these experiences and not have like that second guessing of, oh, somebody's going to hear and think that I'm less qualified. Was this person in any sort of power in this program? Curious? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important for somebody in that position to share a story like that, to show that, you know, to act as a as a model Mm -hmm. for other people. That's very cool. I think you made a good point too, Nicole, talking about how it, I I think kind of extrapolating it, it even a little bit from beyond the mental health aspect too. I think like just general wellness and kind of the support that some of these programs should provide for, I think kind of like what Marissa was saying, you know, there are other events outside of, outside of medicine that can happen in, in life that could impact your progress through this. And I think that that was a good point to bring up. Marissa, maybe you can speak to this one too. You'll have so much more free time during rotations. <laughs> I don't um, know if this is advice as much as it is like conventional wisdom. Yes. I, I will say I saw that comment and fourth year is a lot more chill. Like I haven't been on a clinical rotation since October. So I've had a lot of free time. Granted that some of that time is added in because we got additional vacation time due to COVID. But I think once you find what you want to do with your life and you don't have to worry about studying for your shelves or step one or step two, life just becomes where it's like, I'm learning because I want to learn and I'm interested in this stuff and it becomes far more enjoyable. So I would say, yes, you get more free time in the clinical aspect, but it's usually after you've done all of the hard stuff. After your, after core. your core year. Yeah. Yeah. Core year is not a time to be like, yeah, I have so much free time. That's a lie. <laughs> Devil's in the details. You are too nice to do surgery. You should consider something where you can make a bigger difference or that won't crush your spirit. Another piece of advice. And then, you know, like also you hear this with pathology too, like, oh, you're too, you're too personable for pathology. You shouldn't do that. This it's so funny to me, just the stereotypes that each specialty has and how that can just kind of, kind of become this like spinning circle over and over again, where it's like, Oh, you're too nice to do this. Or like, Oh, I just don't see anybody who has similarities to me. So I just don't feel like I'll fit into that. And then you don't pursue the thing that you're you enjoy and having seen like my classmates kind of have this turmoil as well where it's like I'm interested in this but I just don't know if I'm gonna fit in and you kind of just have to make a choice where it's like no this is what I love and I want to do it and like if I do love it like that means I'm right for it don't know if I'm gonna fit in I don't know I mean are these specialties so it's the word I'm looking for so homogenous that they don't tolerate differences between people and personalities and things like that. I mean, it's all like one dimensional people. Like, I feel like it's not that so much as like there, I mean, there are certain specialties that come to mind where like, sometimes there are pretty jarring differences in personalities. Like there's a general group, but like, 
at the same time though too within those you you do see the outliers of physicians that have made their way into those specialties and are you know might not fit the general mold for that specialty but are still very competent in that field and you know kind of make their way through that well because i also think there's just room in every specialty for people that are you know for instance you know empathetic and kind and able to interact with people and all that sort of thing like why would you why would you encourage people not to enter your specialty because they're too because they're too nice (laughs) that doesn't make any sense maybe if i was a med student i would not go into surgery but i would like more nice people in surgery you know like that would be a that would be a net positive pathology the uh, stereotype for pathologists is that they're awkward you know they're quiet they don't uh, interact well with other people they're just you know in their looking in their microscopes and shit today i learned i'm becoming a pathologist (laughs) (laughs) i I think the same could be said about like radiology right just imagine these people just huddled in like the back corner of the basement no lights on just like uh, like just feverishly typing yes that happened and i don't know i think part of that and this kind of touches on what marissa was saying about like you gotta find something that's like right for you and i think that's where the personality comes in and people can be judgmental but there's probably a lot more going into the decision than people like oh you're you're super outgoing so you should be like a family med doctor i don't know just use an example but like you, they like pathology maybe that's because they like something analytical about it or something like that and i feel like that's where the, the like you said the devil's in the details per se here's another one you you have to do really well in organic chemistry to do well in med school <laughs> Or you have organic to. chemistry is not made the same at every university. I can tell you that one hundred percent. Hard no, yeah. Like at, at my university, people would go and take it at just like local hometown community college over the summer to avoid taking it at the university because the professor was the kind where I'm going to make this class as hard as possible as I can for you because it's my passion and I know everything about it and you need to even though you don't. Hmm. No mercy. That's that's crazy like the stark differences so like i went to iowa state and i loved organic chemistry now part of that's innate to me but my organic one chemistry organic chemistry one professor wrote how to organic chemistry for dummies so having that as the background like that's an entirely different thing and so i think that's crazy to think that how differences and where you're taught and how you're taught like kind of like precede your your training to medical school Marissa, is OCHEM something you you reach for every day? No, absolutely not. But I was like Richard, and I definitely was someone who, like, I did way better in orgo than I did in, like, my intro to chemistry classes. Like, I hate titrations. I was so bad at that stuff. But, like, I kind of feel like the classes that you start with when it comes to, like, pre-med courses, they're meant to be, like, weed out things where it's, like, I think the purpose of those classes is more so to like teach you how to think analytically more so than the material that you use where like I was a biochem major. So like I love orgo because it's just like biochem is orgo of the body. Like I'm, I loved arrow pushing. That was great. Will I ever use any of that ever again? Absolutely not. Shh, don't tell Rubenstein. <laughs> Keep that. I come at it from such a different perspective because I was an engineer and so it was kind of like orgo was one of my first classes kind of outside the what you would typically uh, as a biomedical engineer kind of take and it was kind of outside of that so when it comes to that i agree because i we had to take the same kind of intro to chemistry stuff and i loved orgo so much better 
than that. But then once it came to, I think the other aspect of it is how the institution breaks it up and who teaches those components. Because my Orgo 2 professor was very different than my Orgo 1 professor. And I didn't do as well in Orgo 2 as I did in Orgo 1. You know, the, the concepts are similar, but it's kind of the luck of the draw and how the professors teach in the class. So are you guys saying that Orgo is something that you don't need to do well in? I think you should understand like the principles. I really agree with what Marissa said. It like this hidden curriculum, these underlying things, like concepts and things uh, you have to learn that aren't necessarily related to the material in and of itself really help in the long run. And I mean, I think it really helped with like taking the MCAT. It's, it helps with processing a lot of the material that we get um, in medical school, but the details in and of themselves maybe are not the most important. I have a question about like weed out courses. Like, does it do they truly teach you how to think analytically or is it really unfair to students who go to high schools where they don't learn those skills and it just shows the students who already know and those are the ones who move forward i think that's a great point because i was one of those students like i didn't have a science background coming in like my chemistry was like watching a video over noble gases going to a party like that was the extent of my chemistry class it was not <laughs> good what <laughs> yeah no it was very small public school like they did their best they've gotten better now but it was rough and i remember like i would be so confused and just like so disheartened every single time i went into my science classes but i was like i want to do this with my life but i just don't feel smart enough and i do think it like it's different where like my roommate in college had ap chemistry knew everything going into the classes she's like this is like i don't have to study because i already know all of this and i would spend all of my time studying so it's just like you have to kind of like overcome that barrier, kind of what you were talking about. And it's difficult. And so I do think like there is an unfair like weeding out that does occur because people just get so like hard on themselves. If there is a weeding out function, it might not necessarily be weeding you out because you're not smart enough, but weeding you out because you're not willing to give yourself the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, Yes, I didn't do great in organic chemistry. I applied myself, but I didn't do great. And so, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm going like to be a terrible the, math student. Take the concepts and apply them where they need to be applied. But you got a C and made it past the course. Like, as long as your GPA is good enough to get you into med school, like, why does it matter that that was a class that you struggled in if you still have a grasp of the material? Well, that brings up the uh, That's, the next piece of bad advice, which is if you don't have straight A's, you won't get into medical school. That's that what I was going to say. I think that's a huge misnomer. There's this misconception that, like, you have to be this perfect student, which then kind of feeds back into, like, the mental health aspect. None of us are perfect. We're all doing the best we can, and we have experiences and predispositions for doing well and not doing as well, and, uh, you know, certain areas and you just got to keep working your best you know working hard and being uh intentional about what you're doing and trying to grow from your failures and trying to keep growing from your successes as a student who did not come to medical school with a 4.0 gpa i kind of wonder if students who did are kind of in a situation where they're set up to have more stress and anxiety when it comes to grades and tests because they're not easy in med school and if you have never failed had <laughs> below an a before <laughs> when it happens in med school like that's the first time you have to deal with those kind of emotions 
patience and you're already dealing with a lot. I think there's a perseverance aspect to that, right? Of like you, I think kind of putting the, the weed out courses and the not perfect grades kind of together, you have, you have to get that, that failure aspect a little bit and say, okay, I'm not doing as well as some of my other classmates. And you have to be able to roll with that. You have to be able to say, okay, did I, did I do the best that I can? Or, you know, how can I improve for next time? You know, those are those kind of small skills that really kind of help with that first kind of didactic year of med school where it's like, okay, I, f- I failed the Ruby test. What, what, what are we going to do now? <laughs> you know, like I got to keep rolling. I got to improve. I got to, I got to better myself. So, and again, as a, as an engineer, I did not come into med school. It's a 4.0. I was, that was a hard no. And that, and I think, kind of the vein of where this advice came from the you know i had a pre-med advisor that sat me down and said hey maybe this med school thing isn't isn't what you need to do you know maybe you need to take a look at you know get some industry experience and i think that that's where that perseverance came back in and you know you push through and you if this is what you want to do you have to make it work for you and you have to be able to tell your story about that. Well, why didn't you just fold, man? I mean, you were getting advice from somebody who knew knew the truth, and you didn't. And you were like, "Well, okay, I'll take because that under advisement." But sucks. <laughs> why, yeah, I keep hearing this. Like most often, it's people that, and that's the thing is, like people who think they know anything about the system but have never gone through it. I mean, I'm a plug Reddit here, either. but if it wasn't, yeah, but I have like, you know, so I if it wasn't for Reddit and going through like r slash premed and seeing that people are people are gonna shit on me for this, but to some degree, like I got better advice there from people who are going through the process and actually understood it, and people who had been on admissions committees. Like advising has always been unanimously garbage for me and it sucks like they just don't understand how the, pr- the process works yeah. there's a certain group of people that it's made for and that the people that are going through the process smoothly i think it's great and sure there there's some valid advice there but for those of us who maybe struggled in certain areas that's not the path that i took they don't understand that so their their advice is geared towards the ideal That's cool. I think it's it's interesting hearing that Eric had an advisor saying like, oh, like considering your GPA, it seems like that's what you're saying. Maybe you're not cut out for this. And I had a mentor who wasn't necessarily the pre-med advisor, but they were trying to teach me the opposite lesson that when I had grades come back that I didn't like, don't put your self-worth in those numbers. Like this is just a measure of where you're at right now. And that's not your intelligence. That's not your ability to go to med school. Like, why don't we do that more? You had a good one. You had a good one. It took me finding other mentors outside of advising to give me that advice. You know, Mm -hmm. I got that advice later on from some doctors that I shadowed and they said, you know, there are other aspects to being a physician that matter. And 
and that you should be highlighting in your experience. And so it, it, it took me a while to get there, but I got here, you know, I, I took a couple of years off. I didn't get in the first round. I think as a student who took kind of, I wouldn't say that I'm a non-traditional student, but I'm, I'm one of a minority of who kind of took a little loop around the process here. And I got my experience in, you know, I think that there are other ways to get in and there, there might be less availability or like, you know, less choices out there for you, but it's still a possibility. Eric, would you like, if you could do it differently, like if you had been able to get in on that first time, would you change anything? Like, if you consider like the experience you got, like any self growth, do you think you're at a better place? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent at a better place. I came out of the school of engineering still kind of in an engineering mindset. I don't think that I kind of had that growth as a person that I did in those kind of couple years outside where I spent time in industry. So I did work as an engineer for a while. I spent some time shadowing during that time. I got a master's degree in that time. And beyond that, I had growth outside of that. I got engaged. I moved a couple of times. You had that family experience, but you kind of get that personal growth that just takes time. I think for some people, the process is set up great where, okay, you're ready to go straight out of college into med school. For me, I'm one of those people that benefited from some time off. And I personally think that's like the most important aspect. Like you had mentioned earlier too, that like the story that you tell when you're in this process is far more important. And it's also (laughs) your story is going to impact the relationship that you have with patients. And so I think it's more important that you be a person than you be a number. Here's my- you had the opportunity, Marissa, to like use your experience. You know, I know I took my, you know, a gap year and having life experience, being able to connect with your patients is going to be much more valuable as an asset, at least in my experience to connecting with and being the best person you can for your patients. Would you like, have you had an experience that you could feel like you could talk about that? I would definitely say, so like I have a background, like I worked in a pediatric psych ward in college and then like having family members and friends who have had like had hospitalizations or like other like mental health concerns as well. I also have like a family history of addiction and I've been able to apply a lot of that, especially within the emergency department. Like I feel like I can just establish a relationship with my patients pretty early on because I personally have lived through those things and seen the ones I love live through that as well. And so you just, it's like a very easy reminder to be like, everyone is human. And I understand like, I might be seeing this like just snapshot of you in a hospital, but I know you have a life outside and things can get difficult. So like, how do we go about that? And I have had patients who have told me where it's like, that had really made a difference in like me being able to like get the care. And I wanted to thank you for that. And like, that obviously just reminds me that like, I need to keep using those experiences so that I can make an impact on my patients. Here's a piece of advice that I uh, heard from a student that made me laugh. And that is, you should use your eyebrows more when you talk. (laughs) (laughs) from an attending now look feedback is supposed to be you know specific and actionable i'm not sure that this is an actionable thing i mean how do you change your use of your eyebrows i don't i don't know how that would work and also like i think i know what they were saying but like why why is that Why is that important? Eric, when you answer, when you when you respond to this feedback right now, I'm going to put you on the spot. When you respond to your this feedback, please use your eyebrows expressively. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Wait, can you move I, only one eyebrow at a time? It looked like, oh. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, you do the. I cannot do that. What do you mean? You should throw this on your like residency application. Like I have pronounced <laughs> eyebrow movements that will allow me to empathize with my patients better. Yes. And then when you're when you're interviewing, like I have some really good facial emotional responses. Would yeah. you like to see them and then have a choreographed yeah. routine? Yeah, you'd be like, check this, this is, out. This is such the a residency trip. mating dance. <laughs> <laughs> Since it's all going to be over Zoom anyway at this point, and it's like just trying to, you know, it's I, such a weird. You got to be careful. You got to. That's that's a very powerful <laughs> expression you just used. What if your patients think that you're like trying to hit on them? Yeah, you're like, too much with the eyes. Well, I was going to say, I'm like, it's such a, it's such a weird piece of advice to give. Like, I can imagine being on rounds, getting that piece of advice, and then for like the rest of the day when you're talking with patients, when you're trying to connect with someone, and you're like, am I using my eyebrows enough like, <laughs> like that's all i can think of now I'm, not, I'm no longer in the realm of medicine i'm like what are my eyebrows doing currently she so walk in Your the room like what the hell's wrong with this guy <laughs> i really wonder what the feedback would be for a student who didn't have any eyebrows to like shave them off yeah alopecia years ago on the show we had a co-host john who had was it alopecia universalis and yeah. uh zero hair had no eyebrows had no uh, yeah so gotta paint them on then you got to get that what do they call that yeah, the microblading there, there are like there are some people who just shave them off so that they can make them completely their own when they do use their makeup yeah but get an eyebrow how, wig how is there the such a thing as an eyebrow wig works there are like eyebrow like sticky things that yeah. you can put on for them yeah, yeah. there you go take it like the fake mustache, mustache but fake <laughs> fake eyebrows yes just, just cut one of the fake mustaches in half and then Hey, I want to take a break for a second because our sponsor for this episode, as I said at the top of the show, is Panacea Financial. Uh, Marissa, guess the professions of the founders of Panacea Financial. I'm going to go with doctors. (gasps) How did you know? Okay, I think I I said it at the top of the show. Uh, Yes, founded by two young doctors. Guess why, Marissa, they founded Panacea Financial? Because doctors need financial advice as well, and nobody understands doctors' finances like doctors. So true. They found other banks' business practices were incompatible with the physician setup, the physician life. Uh, They were frustrated by other banks' high interest rates, their co-signer requirements, the overly restrictive loan terms, the rejections, and the inconvenient access to customer service, which... For a physician, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, so they built banking specifically for doctors and doctors in training. Panacea offers PRN personal loans for medical students with fast decisions and funding in as little as 24 hours. No cosigners required and with rates less than half of a credit card. Uh, they also offer totally free checking accounts with all ATM fees reimbursed across the country. Best of all, you can take with you from medical school into residency and beyond. Every customer at Panacea gets a private banker. Their private bankers are supported by a live concierge service desk 24 hours a day, seven days a week because they work doctor's hours, not banker's hours. Their nonprofit arm, the Panacea Financial Foundation, invests in doctors in training and are working to improve the leaky pipeline for underrepresented ethnic and racial minorities in the medical profession with scholarships and grant programs. So visit PanaceaFinancial.com to find out how how Panacea Financial truly serves the needs of physicians in training. Panacea Financial is a division of Sonobank member FDIC. Thank you, Panacea Financial.
I'm gonna share my screen with you because I have some pictures of doctors, stock photography of doctors doing things that that allegedly doctors do. And I wanna see if you can, I've, I've covered up part of the photo and I wanna see if you can tell me what it is I've covered up. And I'll describe these for those who are too lazy to go on our Instagram to check out these photos where I'll post these when I release the show. First of all, we have this rather shaggy older male doctor or scientist. The only signifier is the long white coat, so I'm assuming they're a doctor or a scientist and not, say, somebody who has fashion problems. What are they holding in this vertical position and looking at with crazy eyes? I just want to say that this looks like the caveman from Geico <laughs> trying to play like like Einstein. Uh-huh. That was my first interpretation. Yeah, that's very reasonable. Yeah. What are they holding? Are we are we actually trying to like put reasonable things out there or like wrong answers only? Oh no, no this is <laughs> You're actually trying to guess. Erlen Meyer flask. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely a flask of some kind. Okay. Graduated cylinder. I okay. Good idea. No way. This is Elon Musk's, you know, prodigy. So he's holding like a, a rocket. Okay. All right. Marissa, did you guess? Yeah, Erlen Meyer flask. Okay, right. Uh yeah, not quite. This is a bottle of booze. <laughs> And close enough. Yeah, it's very close. Looks like a bottle of Jack. I actually have an Erlenmeyer flask that, that my mom got me that just says tequila on it, and it has a special little crate you keep it in. It looks really weird if I ever do drink out of it. Did it? Did it actually come with tequila? It did not. Oh, okay. And I usually don't put tequila in it, which is tequila's tequila's the the beverage that I will not touch anymore for reasons that you can imagine <laughs> and you know college was 25 or 30 years ago for me so yeah it's been that long that it's that that impression has stuck around with me all right next one so here we've got a uh, male doctor looking closely into the eyes of a young female patient holding something in his hand that looks about three or four inches long sort of holding it between the two of them what's special about what they're holding do you think I think it's we can a guess. Reflex hammer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't teach this in physical exam skills. <laughs> we didn't even get to do this in physical exam skills. Reflex hammer the cornea. Yeah, why not? <laughs> See if it bounces off in the right way. Yeah. No, we we can't be this close to each other right now. Yeah. This picture's outdated, Dave. It, uh, yeah, true. Where are their masks? This is, you know what? This is the thing that I notice about every single picture I look at now. Like, if I see a picture on Facebook, I'm always like, where are their masks? Where are their masks? It's bothering me. No, it is not a reflex hammer. The interesting thing about this picture is that, yeah, I mean, it's the right instrument, but I think it's backwards. Am I wrong? Are you expecting us to know? Is this well, a Marissa, pop quiz? Marissa it, might know. Uh, see, I hate the eyeball. Uh, yeah. Having those, like, Dials aren't those usually on the front away from you, and there's no like eyebrow rest. I don't know if they all have that. See, this is, uh, it depends. I mean, like it's supposed the Nicole knows. dial is supposed to be on that side. Okay, yeah, I picky, think this is you, Eric. If you want to get picky, I'm pretty sure the if I remember from Caps, everything has to be the same direction. So he's holding it with the wrong hand. It's oh be, yeah, yes, because well, he could just not be a good doctor. That is true. I, <laughs> we have to take that into account, yes. <laughs> yes. All right, next picture. I mean, we could say she doesn't look like she's focusing on his nose either. I mean, come on. Okay, so, so you, you think blame the patient. You think he's using it correctly. All the all the you know, where I found this, all the commenters were like, He's it's backwards. I don't I don't think it's the right direction. Oh, okay. No. Good. So all right. A true ophthalmologist wouldn't even be using that, so this is just a disgrace. Okay. Oh my gosh. 
All right, here we go. Next one. This physician is standing straight on to us, wearing green scrubs and a stethoscope around her neck and holding an MRI film. I've blacked out her head. What is her expression? Like, this is multiple choice. Is it wistful for days gone by when patients actually listen to their doctors? Is it angry to have been given this film of someone's head because she is a podiatrist? Or is it happy to know that her boat payments will never be late? <laughs> What are her eyebrows saying? Is that part of this? Does she even know how to use them? I, 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 I don't know. Maybe she's using it wrong, and, and so I don't understand what her actual expression, what the true answer is. Any guesses? I mean, you know. I'm hoping for a podiatrist. Yeah, I was going to say the same. I'm going as, B. Yeah. As podiatrists don't use stethoscopes. I like the boats, 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 boats. <laughs> Bodie McBoat face. Yeah, so I was going to say the same thing. All right. Yeah, the answer is that she is pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Because I can only assume that she is actually a podiatrist. Why is she so angry? Look at this face. She's not just angry. That is a that is a contemptuous expression right there. She has contempt for me, which I am used. I am used to this. That's true. Her her, her face says like the patient was moving in those X rays, and they're just crap. <laughs> She's like, what what is this shit? <laughs> All right, next one. So we've got a white coated male physician or scientist wearing safety glasses sitting in front of a microscope with a petri dish in his left hand and doing something with his right what's he doing yeah he's definitely put his finger in his mouth there's no way it's not his finger in his mouth uh-huh. like some chips and agar <laughs> has anybody has anybody tasted agar before i mean it's probably not bad for you right have you dave <laughs> i have thought many times by the way you're right he is licking, taste test when we get back he's licking uh. his finger i have yes i have always wanted to do an agar taste test to see if we like uh, this is the guy that they have to warn you this is why they have to warn you that chocolate agar isn't actually chocolate yeah is, is that the kind with like the sheep's blood yeah, yeah, it's made yeah. of blood. Okay. Of I was about sort. to ask what what the one was that had that. Yeah, this he's doing some science there. <laughs> some kind of science. Some kind of science. All right, here we've got a, a spiky black-haired dude in scrubs wearing a surgical mask and glasses. He's very out of focus and is extending his arm toward us, but it's blacked out. What's he doing? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I was going to say, Marissa. Yeah. <laughs> flipping the bird. Yeah, he's uh, he's flipping us the bird. <laughs> The other option was like showing off a new ring. <laughs> he is flipping us the bird. That's fine. Sometimes sometimes you want to do that, right? Is his finger like even in the glove? It doesn't look like it's even in the glove. Oh yeah, it is in a glove. He's wearing a blue glove. Yeah. It seemed pretty loose. No, but it looks like like the the digit. It's yeah. just like the glove's just kind of extending yeah, out like on its own. Like... <laughs> oh, maybe it is. I didn't notice that. It does look kind of weird. All right. Here's a stock photo of a it's a close-up of a woman's hands uh, she's using a stethoscope on something resting on a glossy tabletop what is that thing a teddy, teddy bear, bear. Uh-huh. marissa and i are thinking the same i was gonna say like a brain or something like a just like a brain that's completely out of the skull <laughs> yeah you could you know you could hear some interesting things if you're listening to a brain with your stethoscope i bet squishy noises probably uh, no this is you want to take a second guess you were on you were on the right track when you when you said teddy bear except i'll give you this it's alive like a itty bitty dog yeah Mm, or we or i could i all split with marissa and say it's a kitten okay (laughs) or or a hedgehog no it's a ferret (laughs) listening still to the brain or a weasel yeah listening to the head like halfway there listening to yeah 
listening to a ferret's head. He looks so happy. That's he a, or she. a super cute ferret. Yeah. I think <laughs> it's a face. Yeah. I don't know if it's a ferret or a weasel. Are, All the head scratches. Are ferrets weasels? Oh, yeah. I don't know. All right. Next one. Oh, this wacky dentist. He is wearing bright blue scrubs and a cap and one of those round mirror things on his forehead, which do doctors use these round mirror things? Okay. I have a story about this. Yeah, go ahead. I had a ENT visit and a physician came in and had one on. Sweet. It throws you for a loop. It really does. It seems pretty old school, right? Like, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's wrong, but man, when you, I, I was, it took me aback and I was like, wait a second. I think, what? I think you should try it. Maybe he's onto something, you know, like maybe these newfangled, like, uh, you know, those things that you wear with the glasses and the, I don't know. What, what is this mirror for? Is it for, to reflect light into the, where you want it? Is that what as it far is? As far as I know, I think so. Yeah. So we, I have a hypothesis. Yeah. B- before they started microchipping all the doctors, this is like a radar dish to focus to the new world order oh, sure. people. <laughs> yeah. So that we could start like doing our cr- criminal activities to our patients. The criminal activities or is it like you're uplink to like up to date and all that where it's you just getting Wikipedia beam yeah Wikipedia Yahoo answers <laughs> WebMD uh, yeah Marissa's right or if you're an older physician ask Jeeves uh, yeah what's so so he's uh, he's holding something in his right hand doing something to it with his left his face has a pained expression what's going on here What's underneath the blacked out area? You said it's a dentist? Yeah. Hand puppies. Oh, I was saying he's got his finger stuck in the suction thingy. Okay. Maybe. No. His teeth. Ah, joke teeth. It's the best joke. Dentists, Dentists love those fake teeth. All right. Now we've got a stock photograph of a male doctor sitting in an exam room between the legs of a woman whose feet are up in stirrups. He's holding a speculum as though he's about to use it or just finishing the pelvic exam. And he's smiling at the patient whose upper body and head are out of frame. What's underneath the black sensor box there? What's he doing? There's some hand signals I'm thinking of, but I don't want to do them. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just go with this. Yeah, okay. All right. Some hand signals. He's He's making an inappropriate gesture to his patient. Yeah, no, that's not. That's not right. No, I think he's doing something. I don't know how I'd feel. I'm not a woman, but I'm not. I don't know how I'd feel about this gesture. I think it's a little creepy because I'm not sure what he's trying to say. I mean, I, I can guess just he, think of like Borat just saying, Haha, "Nice." What? <laughs> like what? What is Borat? I think that's the movie. This. Can I tell you something that happened while I was on my OB-GYN rotation? Like, yeah. We had a patient who had just delivered a baby, didn't speak English. The translator wasn't on the phone anymore, and the doctor just went and walked out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> Communication at its finest. <laughs> right there. I'm not sure if this is... The, yeah. This is the last one. We've got a female clinician sitting on the bed of her female patient in this photo. She's tapping out something on a tablet. The patient is a blonde-haired middle-aged woman propped in her bed, sitting in her bed with with her hand casually behind her head as she looks at the nurse or doctor with sort of slitted eyes. What's on her bedside table that I've blacked out? So that's a bedside table there. Yeah, I'll give you that much. There's a okay, table. I was going to say like an EKG monitor just flatline and laid like the, the nurse is saying like, you're dead. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good guess. That's a good guess. Anyone else have a guess? What would you, go. if you were a patient in a hospital, 
There are things that you would want to have in your room, and there are things that you would definitely not want to have in your room. This is a thing that's common in hospitals that you probably don't want to have in your room, if you knew what it was. Is it going to be like kind of like last week's show, where it's something that was removed from our kind lady, no. and it's just sitting on the table? <laughs> A loaded bedpan. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's not. I like that, though. All right. Are are you ready? It's a device. It's used in tough situations. I'll say that. Come on. Hazard a guess. You're a patient in the hospital. You definitely don't want this sitting on your bedside table. A gun. A gun. Oh, God. Slightly hazardous. There's a lot of them in the hospital. Not in the hospital. (laughs) All right, I'll put you out of your misery. Wait. Oh. It's it's a um, defibrillator. I don't know if this needs to be in every hospital room behind an apparently healthy woman. And I, I guess I now know why she's looking at her nurse, doctor. I'm not sure what, what this person is. Something about her scrubs say nurse more than doctor, but maybe I'm crazy. The front pockets. Yeah. But I don't think anybody needs that constant reminder of impending death next to their... See, I think you're, I, you're looking about it wrong. I, and I saw a YouTube video. I think it was like a backyard scientist. He like uh, cooked some steak using the defibrillators. So that's all she's doing. It's I, just the hospital see George Foreman grill. I did, <laughs> I did see that. That's, uh, that's not bad. It's not bad. All right. Well, I think you did pretty well on my little quiz. Thank you for uh, tolerating that. That's our show. Marissa, Nicole, Eric, Rick, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks, Dave. And what kind of incontinent ferret would I be if I didn't thank you, Short Coats, for making us a part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show wherever fine podcasts are available. Our editors are AJ Chowdhury and Eric Bozart, and Alex Belzer is our marketing coordinator. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine, Student Government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week.